Morning, Grace. That was pretty weak, fellas and girls. Good morning, Grace. This morning we get to share in God's Word together as we read Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 26. If you'd like to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 61. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 26. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build of it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Welcome again, everybody. We're in the book of Exodus. From slavery to glory, we've made it to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and as you can tell, we're in the middle of the Ten Commandments. So how's that going? How you doing with those ten? Yeah? How many would say, I'm doing, I'm, I got at least half. I got at least half covered. Anybody? Seven out of ten? Overachievers, 8 out of 10. Come on now. I'm glad nobody's raising their hand. You're a well-trained church. <laughs> you, you know where we're going. Let's review a little bit. They, the people of God, the Israelites, have been brought out of Egypt. Those Egyptian, that Pharaoh, the Egyptian army, was overtaken by the sea. They, the Israelites, are never going to be slaves in Egypt again. Praise God. 
So that is not their problem. Their problem is, it will no longer be the Egyptians. Their problem will be themselves. And that's the rest of the book. That's what we've seen. Chapter 15, 16, 17, complaining, arguing. We want to go back. Where's the food? Where's the meat? Where's the water? God who? Moses who? And so, just like us, our problem is no longer that we are enslaved to sin, but we do have sin indwelling in us. We have this flesh that Paul calls it inside of us, causing us to be ungrateful. And that's why we sing, Holy Spirit, breathe on us, breathe in us, renew us. They make it to the mountain, and like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is a covenant renewal. The Israelites, don't forget, the Israelites are already in covenant with God. It's called the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham and all of his descendants. And these are his descendants. Moses is a descendant of Abraham. Uh, everybody there, these, these hundreds of thousands of people are, are there as the descendants of Abraham. And so uh, at Sinai, it's a covenant renewal, but it's also creation renewal. There's something happening here. God in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Those words, those Hebrew words, are used to describe a desert or a wilderness and other places in the Old Testament. Without form and void. There's nothing there. It's empty. It's empty. It's barren. So God fills it. God creates a people, Adam and Eve, in Genesis, He creates a people that He then and he creates a garden, and he puts them in the garden, Genesis 2. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden to work and keep it. In a, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Adam and Eve were created to be the king priest, the queen priest of the earth. And that's what's happening afresh, anew, in Exodus 20. We are, we are in the wilderness we're without form and void. We're in the desert, and God is creating a kingdom of priests. That was chapter 19. You will be a holy nation unto me. You will be a kingdom of priests. And then Moses goes up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, and then he says, and then God says, tell the people that I'm coming down. Get washed, get ready, I'm coming down. And then God comes down and God speaks to the people directly. Okay? So in your mind, the giving of the Ten Commandments, in your mind, you have Moses on top, you know, you saw the movie, you've seen the paintings, you got Moses on top of the mountain holding tablets. Get that out of your mind. That's not happening here. It will happen, it's coming, it's many chapters away. But here, it's not Moses on top of the mountain, it's God come down the mountain, and he's talking, I am God. <laughs> you will have no other gods before me. Don't make images. Don't take my name and... And you saw it. You saw, Barb just read it. And the people were like, we're out of here. Moses, you go back up the mountain. We're afraid. But what is God doing? He's handing the law to them all. They're all meant to be 
priests before God. They're all meant to be equal before God. What is God doing? He's restoring the garden. He's restoring the image of God. He's restoring mankind to what they're supposed to be, image bearers. How? Through Ten Commandments. Through Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are meant to bring humanity back to their rightful place as image bearers. Now, admittedly, this is very tricky for us. This is confusing for us. Christians still are very, you know, we debate it and we all have, we all have our different opinions on what do Christians do with the law? What do Christians do with the Ten Commandments? Are we supposed to obey these things or not? And it gets really tricky because the word law itself is tricky. God has a law that is eternal. We know this, that God has a law. We might call it the law of love. And that law has been in place. You know, love the Lord your God, love each other. That's been in place and always will be in place. But then God also has laws for a specific time and place that are not eternal. For example, in the garden, don't eat that tree of knowledge. Do you remember that one? Does that law, does that specific law still exist? No. If you know where the Garden of Eden is, please let me know. Let's go. So, there are laws that start and stop. The, the law at Sinai, the law of Moses, the law at Sinai has a clear beginning and a clear end. This is in Galatians chapter 4, by the way. Paul says, the law at Sinai came 430 years after Abraham, and it ended when the promised offspring came, Jesus. It ended when Jesus came. So, this law that we're reading in Exodus 20 is not eternal. Now, again, remember, the law of God is eternal. God's law that we're, we're supposed to worship Him and love Him and each other, that's eternal. But this specific law, clear beginning, clear end. So that makes it tricky. What, so what do we do? The title of our sermon is, Why Then the Law? And that's a quote right out of Galatians 3.19. Paul asks that question, why then the law? So that's going to be our question this morning. Why then the law? So I'm going, to, I'm going to give you three ways that we use the law and rightly use the law as Christians. So first of all, we, we use the law to know God and to understand the character of God. The law points to the holiness of God, doesn't it? The law, Paul says, the law is holy and righteous and good. Well, that sounds like God, doesn't it? God is holy and righteous and good, okay? So the fault isn't, is never with the law. The fault is with the law keepers or the law breakers. And then, secondly, the law can reveal the sinfulness of us, the downward slope of us. We don't keep the law, do we? We break the law. And so there's this gap between God and us. And then finally, the law points to Jesus. The law points to Jesus. 
Jesus fills the gap that the law creates. Okay? So these are going to be our three points this morning as well. So lesson one, let the law reveal the nature of God to you. Let the law reveal the nature of God to you. Now, last week's sermon, Commandments 1, 2, 3, and 4, that was very, it was very obvious. There's no other gods. Don't make Im- images. Don't take my name in vain. Keep my Sabbath. Okay. <laughs> we get it. That's what, God, that's what God is. We are monotheists. We believe that there's only one God. We believe that He deserves all worship, all of our attention, all of our praise. Yep. Now, in the second half of the Ten Commandments, if you will, it's a little, it's, it's not quite as clear because they're more about us, but let me submit to you that what's happening here is we're looking at the image of God. That's us, okay? So when we look at the image of God, we learn about God, don't we? We want you to get your picture taken because that's an image of you, Right? And then it goes into this book, and there's all these little pictures. Is this you? Is this Michelle Koch? No, but it's the image of Michelle Koch. Now, when somebody says something to me about Michelle, and I have no clue who Michelle is, what do I do? I go to the image. I go to the image. And I go, oh, yeah, I know her. I've seen her around. She sings, right? Okay, how do we know about God? We look at the image. You're the image. You're the photograph of God. Are you God? No. (laughs) Good. Good job, class. (laughs) Are you the photograph of God? Yes, you're the photograph of God. And so, Each of the commandments is restoring the image. It's revealing what God is like by showing us the importance of the image. Does this make sense? Hopefully you're tracking. So when we start to look at these commandments, we can see the character of God, and we can also see the image of God in mankind and how God wants us to treat each other, the equality that we have, and it points to the future. It points to the new creation. It points to the church and how we're supposed to love each other and care for each other. So, the fourth commandment, keep the Lord's Sabbath, worship God, but then the dignity, the equality of mankind, everybody gets a day off, don't they? Not just the master, but also the slave. Everybody gets a day off. What does that tell us? It's a hint that everybody's equal, aren't they? Everybody everybody deserves a day off. Everybody needs to rest. Fifth commandment. Look at verse 12. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Image of God. Now, think about God. God is a father-child relationship, a father-son relationship. That's what God is. The f- God the Father, God the Son. Does God the Son honor the f- God the Father? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so when we honor our parents, we are imaging God. Every parent deserves honor. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they deserve it. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they're rich, if they paid for your college, if they, you know, if they bought you a car. It doesn't say that. It says, honor your father and your mother. Every mother and father bears the image of God and deserves honor. Okay? So, for younger children, Paul will repeat this in Ephesians and he'll say, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he quotes the commandment, honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise. So, if there's any children in the room, maybe you're living under the household of mom, under the roof of mom and dad, what does that mean? It means you obey them. That's what, how Paul interprets it. Obey your parents. Listen to them. Do what they ask. Respect them. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't do things half-heartedly. The only exception is if, if somehow your parents are asking you to do something that goes against God. But I really doubt that's happening. That would be really extreme. For older children, notice that this commandment is not just for the kiddos, is it? Every, if, every other commandment is for grown-ups. Don't murder, don't adulterize, don't bear false witness in court. That's all grown-up talk. So don't, don't cop out and say, now that I'm grown, I don't have to honor my parents. <laughs> no, these are all for the grown-ups. Okay, as grown-ups, we honor our parents still. Paul will say it this way in 1 Timothy 5. Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. He's talking to the church. So in other words, in the church, all young men should honor all older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as what? Mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying that to, to live out the image of God in a, fam, a familial relationship means there is no time limit on children honoring their older parents, is there? Take care of them. Help them. It is not the church's first, it's not the responsibility of the church to first take care of the elderly. If they have family, their family is the first line of that. That's what Paul's teaching us. By the way, I know a lot of us in this church, I'm in this place. My older mom lives with me. A lot of you are in that same place. And I just want to encourage you guys, I see this happening all over this church where you guys are caring for your older parents. I, I, see, I see church members that are driving hours to go visit parents and help parents and clean up, you know, all of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I encourage you, keep doing it. It pleases the Lord. Sixth commandment, don't murder you shall not murder. Image-bearing, image-bearing. 
No, every, this covers everyone. Nobody gets to be murdered. Pharaoh, you do not get to throw babies into the river. You do not get to throw babies into the sea. That is not right. Just because you're the boss doesn't mean you get to kill the babies. Christian, no murdering. This includes uh, genocide, infanticide, abortion, on and on. Everyone is an image bearer. Everyone who is an image bearer deserves to have their life protected. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. All marriage is protected. Everybody's an image bearer. Therefore, everybody's marriage is protected. The powerful do not get to steal wives from the weaker, like David did with Bathsheba. Genesis 6, the sons of God snatching up the daughters of men. That's, that's, that caused the flood. This is meant to restore the image of God. And obviously, there's a, there's a thousand sub-layers to all of these, isn't there? And I don't have time to unpack all of these commandments. Eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Every image bearer has a right to hold on to their property. <laughs> the, rich, the powerful don't get to just take from the, from the weak, do they? No, because they're image bearers. Every single image bearer should be allowed to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Ecclesiastes. So we don't get to take from each other. We don't, we do, unfair wage, read Proverbs. This includes unfair wages, withholding services, hoarding. Is all considered theft in the Bible. Ninth commandment, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Everyone deserves, in, in our society, we would say it this way, everyone deserves equal protection under the law. Now, granted, in America, we haven't always done that. It's, it's, been, it's been our philosophy, it's our judicial philosophy, but we haven't always lived up to it. But there's a day coming when Christ rules and every single person will have equal protection under the law, won't they? The law of Jesus. In the meantime, you should strive for that. You don't, you, you don't get to twist the truth in order to meet your selfish ends. And then the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet the sin behind all the sins, the heart sin, the one, the one you can't police. There's no rehab program for covet, coveters. If you're a thief, I can, uh, it might, as a detective, I can probably figure you out. Adulterer, I'll hire the PI and he'll get the pictures. Murder, oh, DNA. <laughs> Coveting. Let's see, where are my coveters? Hmm, yeah, okay. Only if you admit it, brother. <laughs> Only if you wave me down. <laughs> but here's the thing. You're all coveters. You're all coveters. I am too. I am too. This is the sin behind all the other sins. So number two, let the law reveal your sin to you. Let the law reveal your sin to you. <clears throat> Notice verse 18. Ooh, the people are 
afraid. They're trembling. They're standing far off. Moses comes to them, verse 20, and says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Look at, look at this. This is so confusing. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be with… Wait, what? Don't fear, fear. Okay, clearly this is teaching us something, isn't it? It's teaching us that there's a good fear and there's a bad fear. There's a, there's a bad afraid of God and there's a good fear of God. And Moses is saying, I don't want you to be afraid of God. I want you to fear God. Okay? And so we have to, we have to try to figure out what does that mean? Wrong fear. What are they afraid of? So let's ask, what are they afraid of? The thun- it says they're afraid of the thunders and the flashes and the trumpet and the smoke. But listen, here, here's what's happening. Here's what the, uh, are they just afraid of the storm or are, or are they afraid of God? Well, they're afraid of God. Are they just afraid of God or are they afraid of God's law? They're afraid of God's law. Do you see it? The, the fear of the storm is actually a fear of the law. This same people that in the last chapter said, all that the Lord commands, we will obey. Well, now that God's actually talking, <laughs> they're, they're running. They're running away. Why? Because we know. We know we're not going to obey. The bottom line we can't keep this law. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. What does Paul mean? Why does he say that? The law was added to reveal our transgressions. Does the law make us into sinners or are we just naturally sinners? We're naturally sinners. So then what is the law doing? It's revealing our sin. It's revealing our sin, which is why we run. For by Romans 3, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified since through the law comes knowledge of sin, doesn't it? This is, this is all of us. You put up a sign that says no ball playing, and what do people do? They hang a basket under it and play ball. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Can, right? If my wife asks me to do something around the house, I will do it. But if she tells me to do something around the house, same exact thing. It can be the same exact thing. But if it's, honey, will you please, blah, 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 oh, yeah, I'm up off the couch. Let's go. Tools. I'm not good with tools, so it's, that's always a debacle. But, <laughs> but, if it's, but if it's, Brady, you need to do this today. Oh, really? Do, do I really need to do that today? Because I'm pretty sure I got plans. And they include the couch. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. 
The Pharisees tried to reduce the law down to behaviors. Satan's biggest lie to you, Christian, is that you can keep the law. Jesus' truth is, no, you can't. (laughs) No, you can't. So what did Jesus do? When Jesus came, He preached a sermon where He took the law and He extended it out to our hearts, didn't He? Oh, don't, don't murder, don't hate. I say don't hate. Don't, don't even call each other names. Don't even call each other stupid. Oh, don't commit adultery, but I'm saying don't even lust. What? What are you talking about? You see what he's doing? Do you hate? Christian, do you hate? Do you insult? Do you lust? Are you greedy? Have you ever lied, gossiped, or slandered? Have you? Oh, nope. So far, so good, Brady. Okay. Have you ever been discontent? Okay. And the truth is, you've lied and slandered. You've done all the other ones, too. Here's the problem. We, yes, we've broken them all. We have broken all of God's commands. We have reduced God down to an image, and we have hurt the true image of God, each other. We are all idolaters, murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves, and enviers, and these things are all an abomination to God, and He hates them all. And the sooner you come to grips with that today, the sooner you can understand that there is no hope for you in the law, that there is no life for you in, the, in law-keeping, the sooner you come to grips with that, the closer you'll be to receiving the grace of God. If you're living in this crazy fantasy that somehow you're going to stand in front of God one day and He's going to pile up all your good on one side of the scale and all your bad on the other side of the scale and somehow all your good's going to outweigh all your bad. If you think that that's what's going to happen, I got news for you. Because your life is tragic. Your heart is full of deception apart from Christ. Every good you've done has been so mixed with bad, and a pure and holy and righteous God is going to look at it, and it is not going to be good outweighing bad. It's going to be clunk for you, for me, for Billy Graham, for Mother Teresa. I don't care who you think the best human being is. It's the same scenario. Otherwise, why would Jesus have to die? So, how do we move from afraid of God to the fear of God? How do we stop moving away from God? We know we're sinners. We know we're sinners. How do we move from running away from God like these guys to moving towards God? There's only one way, guys. There's only one way, church. There's only one way this can happen, and it's if we know that even though we are sinners, we are not condemned. That's the only way. It's the only way for you, when confronted with your sin, 
And that's what the law does. The law is confronting us with our sin. The only way for us to, instead of run away, and instead run to the open arms of God, the only way is if we know that when we run to Him, His arms are wide open, and the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fat calf are waiting. Do you believe that? Lesson three. So let the law point you to your Savior, Jesus. Let the law point you to your Savior, Jesus. How is it possible that the law of God cannot condemn me, will not condemn me? How can I fear God without being afraid of God? I look to Jesus. And there are two images in our text of Jesus. Two things that point to Jesus. The mediator and the altar. The mediator and the altar. We'll look at the altar first. Verse 22, 23, 22 and 23. Don't make idols. That's a repeat. Don't make idols. 24, verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me. Sacrifice, burnt offerings, peace offerings upon it. There's a word play here. An altar of earth. That word earth is the word Adam. An altar of Adam. What was Adam made out of? Dirt. Adam was made out of dirt. God tells them, make an altar out of dirt. Why does he say that? Because here's what he knows. We need an altar that's made out of what we're made out of. We need a Savior who will be what we are. And that's why Jesus is the God-man who became human, God in the flesh, incarnation, Christmas, baby Jesus in a manger, Jesus coming down as man, as the dirt, in order to be the altar for us. How did Jesus do this? First, he kept the law. Jesus kept the law for you. Remember how I started? I said, are you keeping the Ten Commandments? Remember that? That's how I started the sermon? Anybody doing five out of ten, six out of ten, seven out of ten? Guess what? If Jesus was in the audience, he'd be like, yep, all ten. And it would be real. It wouldn't be like the rich young ruler, hey, keep, hey, Jesus says, hey, keep all the commandments. I have. I've done that. Oh, okay, then sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Commandment 10, don't covet. Um, and, he, and he walks away sad because he had many possessions. Jesus, have you kept number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, number eight, number nine, number 10? Jesus, yep. Since my youth, I have done all these things. And he's the only human being that can say it and mean it. And he did it for you. Jesus' righteousness as concerns the law is the righteousness that is passed on to us by faith, by grace through faith. Not only did Jesus keep the law, literally keep the law, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. 
Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And there's debate about what that means, but I'm going to tell you what it means. Fulfill means to accomplish or to achieve or, or to, to do everything that it was intended to do. Everything that the Ten Commandments were intended to do, Jesus has done. What were the, okay, so what were the Ten Commandments intended to do? They were intended to, remember, they were intended to reveal God and to restore the image of God to humanity. Reveal God, commandments one through four. Restore the image of God, commandments five through ten. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus reveal God? Did Jesus restore the image of God? Yes. Jesus fulfills the law. And in fulfilling the law, by keeping all of its demands, it allows him then, in dying under the law on the cross, he took the curse of the law, and in dying under the law, and then rising again, he is now able to be the mediator of a new law, a new covenant. And that's our second image. Our first image was the altar. Our second image is the mediator. Look at verse 21. The people stood far off, and where does Moses go? I'm waiting for you guys. The people stood far off. Where does Moses go? Into the thick darkness. Jesus went into the thick darkness, didn't he? The Bible says that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, do you remember what happened? Thick darkness in the middle of the day, noon. That's, that doesn't happen. You know that doesn't happen, right? When the sun is its brightest, hottest, the sun stopped shining. Thick darkness and Jesus did not move away from the darkness. He, he ran into it. He ran back up the mountain. He carried his cross up the mountain for us, for you, for me, so that he might become the mediator of a new covenant. And so Jesus replaces the Sinai law with the law of Christ. Remember what we said, the Sinai law or the law of Moses, whatever you want to call it, has a clear beginning and a clear end. It started after Abraham. It ended with the coming of Christ, with the death of Christ. But now Jesus, as the new mediator, puts us under a new covenant and a new law, the law of Christ. What does this mean? What does this mean for us regarding the Ten Commandments. Well, look at how Paul explains it. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, don't covet, any other commandment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and, and any, anything else you want to throw in there is summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love is the fulfilling of the law. 
Okay, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Does the Christian have to obey the Ten Commandments? No. This is, this is my opinion. People will disagree with me. Some of you might… I'll probably get emails. Does the Christian have to obey the Ten Commandments? No. The Christian has to obey Christ. And when we obey Christ, we're obeying the Ten Commandments. So I don't wake up in the morning thinking, let me keep the Ten Commandments today. I wake up in the morning, let me honor my Savior Jesus. Let me follow my Savior Jesus into love, into love. And as I follow Him into the law of love, guess what? Oh, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to try not to lust. I'm not going to hate people. I'm going to honor my mom. I'm going to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and, and all the things Jesus taught us. And then finally, this is the best, best of all right here, Christ in us internalizes God's law of love. You see, the law, guys, listen, the law is not just outside of us like the Ten Commandments were on tablets of stone. And we could go by and we could read it, right? We have, a, we have Ten Commandments posted on the hall out there, and the Ten Commandments are on the front of Gyra Place and Stone. Some parks in America have big copies of the Ten Commandments, you know, monuments to the Ten Commandments. And we can walk by those and we could look at those tablets of stone and we can say, boy, I hope I can live up to that. Or we can trust the indwelling life of Christ that says two things to us. Number one, I have lived up to that for you. Number two, through you, I'm going to empower you to love like I do. Boy, oh boy, that's a way better religion, isn't it? That's a way better religion. Because when I fail, I know I'm still loved. And when I love, I know I'm still loved. <laughs> I don't have to be proud about my love. I don't have to be proud when I get it right. See, Jesus is internalizing the law in us. He's internalizing the law in us so that now we love, we love from love. We love from the heart. We love from faith. And we love from Christ himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, your law of love is eternal. I'm grateful that the law of Moses, the law of Sinai, is not eternal. Because if all we had was a law outside of us that we all had to try to live up to, we would all be doomed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for a better law attached to promises, better promises, a better covenant with better promises. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep the law of love in my place. Thank you, Jesus, that you keep the law of love in my life so that if I get it right, there is no pride, there's only rejoicing, there's gratitude, and if I get it wrong, there's no despair. Free our hearts. Free our hearts with this truth today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.